0: The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, o Lord. The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. The Lord replied, If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Who among you would say to your servant, who has just come in from plowing or tending sheep in the field, come here immediately and take your place at table? Would he rather not say to him, prepare something for me to eat, put on your apron and wait on me while I eat and drink. You may eat and drink when I am finished. Is he grateful to that servant because he did did what was commanded? So should it be with you. When you have done all you have been commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants and have done what we were obliged to do. The Gospel of the Lord. Lord (laughs) St. Thomas Aquinas wrote many prayers in the course of his life. We are somewhat familiar with the prayer he wrote, or rather composed to be prayed before Mass. But after Mass, he had a prayer also, it's probably in our hymnals, which he said Lord, Father, Almighty and Ever Living God, I thank you for even though I am a sinner, for even though I am a sinner, your unprofitable servant. Not because of my worth, but in the kindness of your mercy, you have fed me with the precious body and blood of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. St. Thomas saw himself as an unprofitable servant. Imagine, after all that he had done, I don't know how we see ourselves in relationship to God, but generally speaking, we probably think that God should be pretty pleased with what he gets. Today's gospel is about something quite different. The apostles asked for an increase of faith. Faith, as we know, is not something we can earn. We can't simply will it. We can't purchase it. It's a gift. It's a gift that is given to us in order that we might respond to it by works. Faith is a gift, but works must flow from it. And works that are greater than simply natural works, supernatural works. And our Lord then uses the example of the servant If your servant was coming in from the field, would you say, come here and take your place at table? No, you would say, prepare me something to eat. And when I am finished, then you can eat too. So we are then told that we have to see ourselves in a very different sort of way. The point here is, though, that the servant was more concerned about doing his duty. He was not concerned with love of the master. And that's the difference between saints and people who simply do the right thing. Saints do something for an entirely different motive, as you and I should too. You know that if we are in love, we will always do whatever we can for the beloved. In fact, we're always looking for something more to do to express our love, to be visible signs of that love we simply are doing our duty, we want to be done with it, do as little as we possibly can and be finished. I once read a a maxim, part of Murphy's Law, that said, if you have a difficult job to do, give it to a lazy man and he'll find an easier way to do it. Uh, That's not the gospel, and that's not love either. Love is always looking for something else, and yet it seems we are always looking for the minimum. You know, the church has a precept that we have to attend Mass on all Sundays and Holy Days of Obligation. That's a minimalistic law. The very least we can do is to attend Mass on Sundays and Holy Days. That's the very least because of what happens here. The Church is basically saying when the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ becomes present in your midst, at least once a week you should be there to be present for it. Makes sense. Makes sense. All the precepts of the Church are minimalistic. The very least we can do is this. But we are called to something greater. We are always called to a greater love. Yesterday was the Feast of St. Therese of Lisieux. And I read this yesterday at Mass. I'm going to read it again today because it's such a beautiful reflection on the very nature of love. She wanted to be a martyr. She wanted to give everything by giving her life. Most of us do not. Most of us would rather avoid that if possible. In fact, generally speaking, most of us, somebody I forget who it was that said this, most of us don't want to do the will of God. We want to do our will without overly offending God. But the will of God is not our primary concern, which is what it ought to be. And here's what she had to say. She discovered she was not called to be a martyr, nor an administrator, or all kinds of other things she realized she was called to love, and she said that. Then, nearly ecstatic with the supreme joy of my soul, I proclaimed, O Jesus, my love, at last I have found my calling. My call is love. Certainly I have found my proper place in the Church, and you gave me that very place, my God in the heart of the Church, my Mother. I will be love, and thus I will be all things as my desire finds its direction. That was her idea. She wanted to be love, and so she found herself. That's what the saints do. So we have to ask ourselves that question. Am I doing this just to get it out of the way, to be done with it? And then I can go on with what the real business of life, or am I focused on the things of true love, beginning here uh, with the Eucharist, the Eucharist being love. It's here that we receive the food of passion, the Eucharist is the food of passionate people, not just of ordinary people who want to do what needs to be done. Uh, for instance, most of you here, or many of you here anyway, are parents. You know that you don't want to simply do what's necessary to keep your children alive. You want to do everything you possibly can to form that child. That's what love does. Love does things like that. Someone is paid, well, they will simply do what needs to be done, but they won't do it in the same way that you would do it. Because of that passionate love. And so it must be with the kingdom of God. We must have that love. Notice I didn't say the same enthusiasm. Enthusiasm comes and goes. There are days when we might want to do what needs to be done out of love, but without in much feeling. But we do it because we do love, as opposed to simply because we're paid to do it. You know, when you look at the lives of the saints, they all saw themselves as this servant, as though they had done nothing. I mentioned St. Thomas Aquinas at the beginning of my homily. That's true with all the saints, though. They were always thinking they hadn't done enough and there was something more they had to do. They were always talking about how unworthy they were, and how poor, poor servants. You know, Bishop Sheen once told a story. He was having an audience with Pope Pius XII, and he was sitting outside waiting to be ushered into the audience. And as he sat there, he began to think to himself about all the things he hadn't done. All the gifts God had given him, all the talent, how little he had used them, uh, his own laziness. And it began began to become rather depressed at it all as he thought of all the things he hadn't done. And all of a sudden he was ushered into the presence of Pius XII and everything changed. And he said to the Pope, if you can imagine saying this, he said, you know... I think I've just been given a glimpse of what heaven is. And the Pope said, oh, tell me about it. And he said, well, I was sitting outside thinking of all the things I hadn't done and all the gifts I hadn't used and all the opportunities that were given to me that I never responded to. I was beginning to feel quite depressed. And all of a sudden I walked in here, and here you are, the church. And all of a sudden, it all vanished. And the Pope said to him, yes, that is how heaven will be. But first we have to recognize our own unworthiness, and then only then can God recreate us. As long as we think we're wonderful, God can't do anything with us. If we realize that we aren't, then he can. Remember that prayer? I mentioned this prayer several years ago. I'm going to mention it again in a different context. The prayer of St. Anselm of Canterbury, the Archbishop of Canterbury, one of the greatest theologians and philosophers the Church has ever known. But here, this was his prayer, as you may recall it. Uh, he said, I am frightened of living. My whole life seems sinful and sterile. Any fruits I bear are either false or rotten. Nothing I do seems pleasing to you. I am a barren tree that deserves to be chopped down, cut up, and burnt. I bear only the sharp and bitter thorns of sin. If only those thorns could prick me into repentance. Inside me, my conscience burns. I dare not show myself, but I have nowhere to hide. What will happen to me? Who will protect me from your wrath? <clears throat> well, that's pretty depressing up to that point. At least it seems so, doesn't it? He's being very honest, though, in his mind. He probably was being. To admit that to oneself. Most of us don't like to admit that. Well, that's just, but then, then the prayer changes. And this is what he says. Lord, you are my judge, in whose hands I tremble. Yet... You are also the one who can save me. Though I fear you, I trust you. Though I want to flee you, I flee towards you. Jesus, Jesus, deal with me according to your love. Jesus, Jesus, forget the sins by which I have provoked you and see only the misery which invokes you. Most kind Lord, confirm in me all that belongs to you and cast away all that is alien to you. You know, today is Respect Life Sunday. It's interesting to note that of all God's human creatures, the only one perfectly doing his will at any given moment is a child in the womb. The rest of us are not quite so wonderful. But that child is doing exactly what God created that child to do. And our world has decided that that life is destructible We want to destroy innocence wherever we see it, particularly that life in the womb. You and I must see things very differently. And it's true at the end of life, too, when people can become helpless, perhaps even have some dementia. They're vulnerable, they perhaps have a new innocence. My grandmother used to say, once a man, twice a child. We want to destroy them, too don't we? They're expendable. They're not useful anymore to our world. So the child in the womb who seems to be invisible and the person at the end of life who seems to be of not much use to society now become vulnerable, even though they are doing what God has called them to do, perhaps in a more perfect way, but not in our eyes. It's strange, isn't it, that the one natural gift, the greatest natural gift that we didn't give to ourselves, we think we can destroy, either in the, in the case of somebody else, the child in the womb, or the elderly person, or even our own lives sometimes, that we weren't given life for that reason. It is also terrible to think what the, wor- what the words, this is my body, have become. People use that, not as we use it, to bring God to earth but to justify the destruction of a human being. This is my body. That's not why God gave us those words. You and I, then, have to be visible signs of life. We have to fight, in particular, those two elements that are destroying our society. There are others, too, as we ignore the the poor, the insignificant, but the reality of life itself must be the priority. we then, as I said, are visible signs of what that life means. We will not sit behind and watch it destroyed or ignored. We will protest. Uh, We will do everything we can to restore that concept of life as God has given it to us. So, even as we realize our own weakness, we realize our own power, don't we? My dear Lord, Confirm in me all that belongs to you and cast away all that is alien to you. Let us pray. Almighty Father, we come before you as the people redeemed by the blood of your Son and trusting in your love and mercy. For the Church throughout the world, that her members will grow daily in love and in service. For the church suffering, the church in our own country, we pray to the Lord. Lord hear our for our nation and all nations of the world, that they may come to know Jesus Christ and his church, for all those running for public office, and for peace, we pray to the Lord. Lord hear our for all those who are sick and suffering, for those who are hospitalized or in nursing homes, for all those who suffer from depression or despair that they may know that they are united to the, the cross of Christ. For those who are greatly tempted, for those who have lost their faith, that they may find it, we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For a greater respect for human life, especially in the womb and at the end, we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For... An increase in vocations to priesthood and the consecrated life. Those young men and women who will give their lives in a unique way for the sake of the kingdom of God. For a greater reverence for the prophetic nature of marriage and the single life, we pray to the Lord. Lord hear our prayer. For our bishop, priests, deacons, and seminarians, and for the American hierarchy. That they will be zealous servants of the kingdom of God. We pray to the Lord. Lord hear our prayer. For the souls of all the faithful departed, especially our relatives, friends, and benefactors, for all who have died in the battlefield, all victims of violence, terrorism, and natural disaster, especially those who have died recently in acts of violence. Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord. Amen. May they rest in peace. Amen. May their souls and the souls of all the faithful departed. The mercy of God, rest in peace. Amen. And for all of us here, that our lives will be transformed by faith, and that we will respond with an intensity of love to what we have received, we pray to the Lord. Lord hear our prayer. We now join. Our prayers to those of the Mother of Life as we sing.